I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 303. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. With just a few days before Christmas arrives, it is appropriate that we take a moment to consider Christ's arrival, both his initial arrival on earth in the form of a baby and also with an eye toward his return. Anna Miriam Brown wrote a musical called His Story, and we're going to use the song Arrive from that musical to launch us into scripture. And in the song, Mary and Joseph sing of the arrival of the baby. But like our plan is today on the podcast, ends with his hopeful return. Now, before we dive into scripture, let's listen. It's time for this baby to arrive Then you arrive in my eyes for the first time For the first time I want to hold you close to me Yes, you arrive in my eyes for the first time For the first time we meet eyes I can barely speak Yes, you arrive in my life for the first time See greatness lie in your eyes And this is what we will sing Cause this is only the beginning When you arrive in your life for the first time I will watch you take flight Before we get into scripture, I want to mention a little bit about this album. Anna Miriam Brown was 16 when she wrote this musical after she had met a young woman on a mission in on mission in Africa who introduced her to Hamilton, the musical. And after Anna heard the musical about this historical figure, it inspired her to learn more about Alexander Hamilton something she was never interested in before. And this is when the light bulb went on. If she was inspired to learn more about a historical figure because of a musical, then maybe she could write a musical that might inspire others to read the Bible and learn more about Christ's story. I absolutely love it. It is beautifully orchestrated, as well as being chock full of direct scripture references. You can listen to the entire album on Spotify or YouTube. You can also listen to her story behind the album as well. I'll link to all of that in the show notes in case you're interested. But as you have been reading through Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2, I I hope you've been faithful to write down some observations. Perhaps it's details you've never noticed before or a phrase that jumps out at you. No matter what you write down, the act of actually writing it down means that you are interacting with God's word. Of course, my desire 
for you is that you read your Bible for yourself. But because I want you to read it for comprehension, the best way to read is to read and interact with the text in ways that will keep your reading time varied. And uh, the interaction, of course, just deepens your understanding. Now, I attempt to help you along with this practice each week by giving you bites, Bible interaction tool exercises. Reading repetitively, easy for me to say, reading repetitively is a bite. I've been asking you to read Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2 each week during this month of December. I've also been asking you to write down observations. That's actually two bites. Reading to make observations is one and writing things down is another. Now, perhaps you've noticed that these bites are pretty simple. Also, I'm not the one that comes up with them. I I just, I take them from wherever I go and I incorporate them into my own personal time in Bible study. And then I package them and label them and share them with you. So today I want to use the bite of exploring a topic the arrival of Jesus. And I want to use that to focus our discussion. Uh, For the most part, I like to stick to larger chunks of scripture and stay there, like Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and then Luke chapter 1 and 2. It ensures that you are reading in context, which is another bite. You are also making your observations in context. Once you get the hang of reading in context, it will stay with you. That habit will stay with you. You can be a hawk for people taking things out of context, and then you will begin to demand a handling of Scripture that ensures that we don't make it mean something the original author never intended. I'm sure, though, you heard sermons like the one I heard on Sunday, or um, I'm recording this on a Sunday. I heard one this morning that that took references from all over Scripture. It was not necessarily a systematic unpacking of a larger chunk, but was rather inspired by one phrase and then uh, more topic-driven. Now, one advantage of doing this is to see patterns in Scripture that begin to paint a picture of who God is and how he responds, etc., etc. But for example, if God is shown to be patient, in many places in scripture, you can rest assured that God is patient. Uh, He's patient with you. He's patient with your circumstances. He's patient with his timing, even though we are generally impatient with his timing. He's patient with everything. So uh, that's the benefit of being able to kind of see a pattern and being able to hop around a little bit. Uh, This week, if you have not already taken time to read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, I challenge you to do it. And if you have been faithful and you feel like you you know, don't need to read it again, for goodness sake. I challenge you to read it again anyway. This week, I want you to keep your eye out for the details of Christ's arrival. I want you to consider what is actually described. One huge bite is to remember that the people described in Scripture were real. You can't read about the shepherds without slowing down to consider what their real everyday lives were like before this huge angel concert, right? Now, I wish we had time to read through all of these chapters together. I wish we could write down our observations together. But we today are going to focus in on one section of Scripture before um, we kind of peel off a couple of times to consider um, a few other phrases or ideas about Christ's uh, second arrival. We don't really have time to delve too much into it, but I'm going to skate over the top of it, and then you could possibly do some research on your own. Now, one detail about the arrival of Christ 
is what happened a week after his arrival. And I know this doesn't show up in the traditional Christmas story as recounted by Linus in Charlie Brown's Christmas, uh, but I've had babies. Eight days after birth is just as much about their arrival as the actual day or night of it. So in fact, let's go ahead and read this part together in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. It says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was a time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. Either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, it's a little crazy around my house for Christmas, but on a normal week, I would hop right on that reference to the law of the Lord, and I would go read where it says in the Old Testament um, where where it describes this this uh, law. My favorite tool for that, for cross-references, is BibleHub.com. I just pull up a verse, I look over to the right, and I see cross-references listed out there. It shows me right there that this law is detailed in Leviticus chapter 12. Now, I especially love doing this with my New Testament references because it really helps to tie those two testaments together in my mind. I did a Bible study recently with some ladies who admitted that they had grown up in church their whole lives, but they never really read the Old Testament because their pastors had always preached from the New Testament. It was almost implied by that practice that the Old Testament was irrelevant, and I cannot stress enough how false that is. But I also know that if you haven't spent much time there, it can be a little intimidating. So linking a a worship practice by the earthly parents of Jesus to a law given by God through Moses is a great way to ease into this exploring the Old Testament if you've never really done that a lot. So head over to Leviticus chapter 12 if you want to go ahead and take that on. But let's keep reading in Luke 2. What we just read was setting the stage to help us understand why Mary and Joseph were in the temple in Jerusalem eight days after they had a baby in a barn. Okay, and we're going to keep reading verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. All right, Simeon, this is who I want to talk about for a little bit. Simeon was an active follower of God. In fact, God blessed him with his own promise or revelation. We don't know when God said that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, but we know he had it as a promise and he believed it. Uh, We don't know how old he was. I guess whenever I've read this, I always just thought he was old because A, the next lady that they encounter is described as old. And then B, he tells God, okay, now I can die. So, uh, but when I read the story again and uh, again and again this year, I realize now that while it's not a stretch to say that he might be old, um, you know, because he did say, okay, I can die now. It's not guaranteed by that statement, though, that he is old. Maybe it's just like, this was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, my life is fulfilled now that I've met the Messiah in person. So, uh, but before we consider a few more observations about Simeon, let's go ahead and read the rest of the scene. And then we'll hop back um, to learn a little bit more about him. So it says he took in verse 28, he took the child in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as 
as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Okay, so Jesus' parents were amazed because even though they had encounters with God's messengers themselves, it's just so hard to wrap our little human minds around everything that was taking place. The arrival of Jesus Christ was the culmination of God's great plan since before the foundation of the world. Galatians 4 Force describes it as the fullness of time. This was a fullness of time moment, and they were living it in real time, and they were amazed. Well, I guess so. (laughs) All right. We could spend more time speaking about what Simeon said, and I hope that you will take your time and unpack it at home on your own. But I want to zero in on on who Simeon was in the waiting. Because you see, while Jesus has arrived, and that is what we celebrate at Christmas, he will arrive again. And we need to be faithful in the waiting. So let's go, let's back up a little bit in this section and see what we can see. In fact, let's use the bite of making a list. I love this one because, well, I don't know, I guess that's just the way I think. It must be how I process things. Making a list just kind of makes it easier for me to, to see. So when I look back up in verses 25 through 28, here's what I see. It says that Simeon was just is described as righteous. Simeon is described as devout. Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed things to him that seems pretty personal, you know, like you will not die till you see the Messiah. Um, and he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot. And as we await the second arrival, and as we use these days of celebrating the waiting for Christ to come as a baby, may we reflect these characteristics in our own waiting for his next arrival. So let's unpack this a little bit. First, Simeon was righteous. Now, I know that the Bible teaches that no one is truly righteous. So what could this possibly mean? Why would the Bible say no one's righteous, but then describe this guy as righteous? Well, it means that in to the best of his ability, uh, he has conformed his life to reflect the characteristics of God. So he is not righteous. He is not righteous the way God. Uh, we need to be righteous to be able to stand before a holy God. But he is living a righteous life. His will and his standard of righteousness um, is reflected in God's will and standard of righteousness. He led an upright life. Uh, it's in contrast, uh, if, if you want to consider the contrast, uh, the contrast of righteous would be wicked. So if that helps. So he is a righteous man. As followers of Christ, of course, we are made righteous because of Christ's sacrifice. So we're righteous in our standing, but we still should strive to live a life 
that reflects the state of righteousness that we've been given. You know, live an, a righteous life, okay? And as we await Christ's next arrival, may we strive to live our lives in conformity to that of God. And and we have a living, breathing human example of that when we read more in the New Testament about the life and choices and words of Christ. All right, so Simeon was righteous. Simeon was also devout. Now, to be devout is to literally take a hold of what is good. This is often translated as God-fearing because it shows, um, so it depends on your version that you're reading, it shows a godly respect for the things of God. In other words, Simeon revered the sacred things of God. I think sometimes we feel as though this is unattainable for us in our own lives, that it's a quality left for the super religious and um, for people who are truly set apart. But uh, we are set apart, as scripture is described. And I want what Simeon had. I want a Holy Spirit-led life. And so an awe-inspired fear, revering what is sacred, is another quality that we should have in our waiting. We must not be too casual with our faith. And so my question to you is, would you be described as devout? All right, so Simeon was described as righteous, devout, and eager. He eagerly awaited, or he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Are we eagerly waiting for our Messiah to return? You know, Philippians 3.20 says it this way, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think it's... um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that exact word is used there. So may we be like Simeon and Paul in our eagerness. This kind of waiting is expressing and expectant waiting uh, where a, a person is ready and willing to receive all that is hoped for. It's an active, like looking for and waiting kind of waiting. It is definitely not a passive waiting. So may we be described as eager in our waiting for the return of Christ. And then there's this business of the Holy Spirit's impact in Simeon's life. You know, please don't skip over this part. It's it's kind of a big deal. You know, in the days of Simeon, God's presence was in the temple. But in Simeon's case, the Holy Spirit was upon his life in an obviously unique way. And of course, as as Christ followers, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit at salvation. Jesus himself said that he had to leave so that he could send the Holy Spirit to us. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 reminds us that uh, we are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in us. So if you've surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And in our waiting, we want him to reveal stuff to us and lead us. And the Holy Spirit can help you understand the words of the Bible that you're seeking to understand. It is his revealed word, and he can reveal in his revealed word. He wants to lead you through that revealed word. And and if we wait for the return of Christ by living a righteous life that is devout, and if our waiting is eager and expectant, we might just be led by the Holy Spirit to experience things in unique ways and unique places, just like Simeon. You know, he didn't just happen to be at the temple that day. He was led by the Holy Spirit to the temple. But the thing that really stuck out to me is that he followed his leading. So another characteristic that we can infer through this scripture is a life that is obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So whether it's a verse that tells you to do something that you maybe sometimes just don't really even like doing, or there's a check in your spirit uh, when you, for me, it's usually like, don't say that. 
that's usually the check in my spirit. The Holy Spirit and I have a, I, I, I can hear, I, I know his voice on that one. And it's just up to us to obey and then follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure Simeon knew what was on the other side of his obedience that day when he made his way to the temple, but it was the arrival. It was the arrival, the one he had eagerly awaited for. And as we can read, he praised God in the moment. So what's next? Well, read Matthew 1 and 2. Read Luke 1 and 2 again this week. Keep your eye out for details of the arrival, both this part and in the parts that were ahead of us in the story. Uh, Slow down and consider Simeon, who was forever recorded in history for us to know. The details of who he was were important enough for God to ensure that they were included in Scripture. And we can learn so much from him as we eagerly await the arrival of Christ the second time. Now, while you're in God's Word this week, uh, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellenizat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellenizat or on Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Nadine from Florida, Cindy from Arkansas, PJ from California, and Jesus from New York. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I use on the podcast. It's a really great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You also get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the resources I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellenizat.com to subscribe today. And have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Well, this not only encourages me, but it helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Press On by Building 429 to lead us to scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellenizat.com forward slash 303. Now, while you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.